to welcome you to the service this morning. Is this thing on? Can you hear me? I'd like to welcome you to the service this morning, especially if you're visiting with us. Glad that you're here and invite you to be back with us at every opportunity that you have. Craig and I had an opportunity back in October to speak at a leadership conference down in the Dallas area, and uh, this was a the topic that I was given in that, and I wanted to share that with you this morning. I thought it'd be a good transition into our sermon series of next month of discussing some of these things about things that elderships need to uh, think about and work on in their local congregations. And these are a few of the things, the questions that I've been, uh, was assigned at that time, and I just copied and pasted that over where you'd know exactly what my assignment was and what we'll be discussing today. Uh, it was a good conference, enjoyed it uh, a lot, and learned a lot uh, that weekend and, and had a good time with that. So hopefully some of the things that we mentioned this morning are things that will bless and benefit you as we study these things together. I was given this topic of closing the back door, not letting new converts escape and, and leave your congregation or go to different areas. And, and I told them when they called me to ask me to speak on that, uh, I don't know anything about this. <laughs> I'm not the guy that you want to get to, to, to speak on that. I can't even keep my own daughter and, and son-in-law here in the area. So. But we're talking about new converts and them leaving the church, so that doesn't really apply. So I tried to get out of it, but they didn't let me. So... Uh, Anyway, that's kind of what we discussed and things that we talked about. I want to share with you this morning, um, or examine with you this question, what can elderships do or what can churches do? We're all in this together. We all work on different things at different times um, and working together in this business. So what can we do to better retain those that are newly converted? I thought of um, the verse there in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 6 where Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. We can all plant and water. We're all called upon to do that. That's an important work that each and every one of us need to be involved in and working on. And we're talking about a new convert, someone who has been converted, so they have had been planted or instilled the Word of God into them. They have been watered. They've been fed. They've heard the Word of God. So is that all there is to it? Is there more to it than that? Uh, do we need to do something like fertilize. And I thought about the verse in Luke chapter 13, verses 6 through 9, where it says, He spake also this parable, A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. And he said unto the dresser of the vineyard, Behold, these three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and found none. Cut it down, why cumbereth it the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it, and if it bear fruit well, and if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. So as we think about these series of verses, we see the picture of this owner of the vineyard. And he has expectations for these trees in his vineyard, doesn't he? He has a fig tree, and he expects there to be fruit on it, figs on it. There's an expectation there. As we as Christians, we are the example, we're the picture that is seen there, we're supposed to be bearing fruit. There's an expectation of each and every one of us here in this room. We're a, a plant or a tree in God's vineyard. He has an expectation of you. He wants you to bear fruit. He does not expect you to be unfruitful, but very fruitful, to bear fruit in his vineyard, like the parable that we read this morning. There's an expectation there. So what can we do to produce that fruit in our life? What do we need to be working on and doing in our life? You know, as, as we have that example in, in our minds this morning, what do we need to be working on? What, as a church, do we need to do? 
the, the duty, the job, or one of the duties of the church is to provide every opportunity for success in this mission, to provide that fruit, to bear that fruit in your life. So we as elders of the church are working on that. What can we do to help people produce, to, to do and be what God wants them to be? And that's what we want to discuss this morning. We want to, to provide all the nutrients to fertilize the tree, ideal conditions for you to grow. You know, sometimes that doesn't happen, does it? Sometimes people run into problems and issues in their life. Think about a tree that maybe gets, in, gets sprayed with Roundup or some type of poison. What are we going to do to try to save that tree? What are we going to do to this tree that's, that's come into some issues and some problems? Well, if you've got a tree that's been poisoned, one of the things you're going to do is try to flush it out, flush the poison out of it. So you're going to water it. You're going to um, flood it with water. Try to wash all these, these bad things out of it. So you're going to uh, instill the Word of God into someone who's had a problem in their life, someone who's uh, undergoing a sin problem. We're going to flood them with the Word of God. And you know something that, t- that takes in our life is a lot of time and a lot of effort. It's not easy to save that tree sometimes, especially on how, mu- uh, how much poison it's been exposed to. Sometimes it's very difficult, and sometimes you can't save the tree. But we need to put forth a bunch of effort and a bunch of time you know, we, as we read this, this series of verses here in Luke chapter 13, what did the dresser of the vineyard do? He dug about it. He fertilized it. He provided the oxygen that was needed to it and did all the things that were necessary and put dung on it, put fertilizer on it so that it might create these ideal circumstances for it to grow up in, to get overcome and to start bearing fruit like God wants it to. So that's the idea, and that's the situation that we as a church are in and what we want to be working on and do. You know, sometimes we give up too easy, don't we? We think about that tree that's been poisoned. Well, it's covered up with, fertile, uh, covered up with Roundup. It's going to die. There's nothing I can do about it and just give up on it. You know, sometimes in our backyard, we'll plant a, a, a garden. I guess you can call it a garden. <laughs> Maybe that's why I can't think of the word. I can't even say garden. But we try to plant a garden sometimes, and we're not very good at it because we don't spend the time and the effort into it. Sometimes we'll, uh, you know, we'll water it, obviously. You've got to do that to make it grow a little bit, but we don't get out there and weed it. We don't pull the weeds. We don't do the things that are necessary to make it be very productive and very fruitful. We just let it go and say, hey, if we get something, that's great. We get something, we can decorate the house with a pumpkin, a Cheryl likes pumpkins and gourds and things like that. If we get one, that's great. If we don't, well, oh well. You know, we give up pretty easy. Sometimes we're like that in our church work, and we can see churches around us, and sometimes we do that here locally as well. We give up on converts too easy. We don't put forth the time and the effort that we need to for each of us to be abundantly fruitful and bearing fruit in our life. And it affects each and every one of you. And when management fails, the church fails. So those are things that we think about on a daily basis and we worry about. You know, another thing that we think of as we look at this example, sometimes we want to put ourselves in the position of the owner of the vineyard. And we want to say, well, just cut it down. <laughs> you know, just give up on it. It's, it's useless. That's not our position Our position is that of vine dresser like Jesus Christ. Let it alone this year also. Let me work on it. 
Let me dig about it. Let me fertilize it. Let me do whatever I can to try to make it fruitful and productive is our position and where we need to be and not in that position of judge or owner of the vineyard. God is the owner of the vineyard. Only he is allowed to cut someone off and cut someone down. Unfortunately, churches of our brotherhood, of our own churches of Christ, have put themselves in that position at different times and said, you know what, we're going to disfellowship you, we're going to cut you off, we don't care about you, you need to go somewhere else and get lost. And it's affected the church greatly throughout the last 50 years, throughout the last 100 years, whatever that is, amount of time. And it's affected it greatly because we've tried to put ourselves in a position that we're not supposed to be in. We're in the position of fertilizing and planting and watering. That's our job and that's our duty and what we need to be busy doing, each and every one of us here in the room today. That's God's will for us. Look at this verse in John chapter 15, verse number 2. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. You see, it's God's job to clean and, and prune and purify. We do that work. We put forth that effort in watering and teaching someone how to change their life and repent and turn to God and do those things they need to do to bear fruit. But only God can change the tree. God's Word is the only thing that can change someone, someone's heart, someone's life, into living for Him. Sometimes that includes difficult things as far as a leader in the church or as far as one being a Christian in the church. Not necessarily just an elder, but going to a brother and telling someone, being straightforward with him and saying, look, you're not bearing fruit and you need to. You need to make some changes in your life, and it's a difficult thing, and sometimes I'm not very good at it. Sometimes I, I need to go to someone and tell them, look, you need to make some changes and difference in your life where you can bear fruit. And it's not an easy thing, but that's a task of an elder or one that need, is spiritual that is trying to teach someone else and something we could all be better at. As we continue to look at this series of verses or this question, what can elderships do to better retain those that are converted? Maybe teaching them to observe all things. That's another verse that came to my mind when I thought about this subject and about this topic. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. So we're given this task, we're given this mission to go and to teach all nations, and that's for every one of us, brethren. That's for every one of us to go and teach and tell others and bring them up. You know, we've talked about this with different people in this room. I've discussed this with you about, well, you know, maybe I've done a study with someone and they've, they've come to church for a short amount of time, but then they've left. They've escaped. We've not closed the back door. They've ran out. They're no longer here. So what do we do? What's it, what, what can we do to better retain them? What can we do? It's just not sticking. It's not, not helping. Things are happening. You know, we've talked about a new convert here. Obviously, again, it's one that's been planted and watered. God has given the increase, but then they've escaped. They've, they've, they've gone out. What do we do different? What do we do better? Well, maybe this is the answer. Maybe that's part of the answer anyway. Maybe we've fallen short on teaching them to observe all things. 
We've fallen short on teaching them the commandments of God and, and how to live their life and them producing fruit and them going on to bear fruit in their life. Maybe that's where we're falling short. You know, we read scriptures like Hebrews chapter 5 and how about this time, well, people ought to be, they've got the foundation, but they ought to be teachers now. They ought to be growing up. They've received the milk of the word, but now they are, they're ready for solid food and they ought to be growing and, and bearing fruit in God's kingdom, but they're not. So what do we do about that? As we look at that word observe, teaching them to observe all things, exactly what does that mean? Well, when we look up that definition, there's several things that are mentioned in the, in the definition there. And look, I, I recognize that the true and proper uh, definition of this word in this particular verse is found down here at the bottom. We need to teach them to observe all things I have commanded you, to hold fast to those things, to keep those things, to serve in that capacity. But I want you to look at some of these words that are mentioned here as we look at this definition of observe. Maybe I need to put forth a little more effort and not just give up so easily on the tree. Look at these things. To watch. I need to be watching. I need to be guarding from injury or loss, keeping my eye upon that person. Keep them from escaping, preventing from escaping. To build a fortress around them, a wall surrounding them to maintain them, to detain them so they might not escape so easily. So many times, I just open the door for them and let them run out instead of doing these type of things. I think that's uh, one of the things that we can look at in our lives and in our hearts and think, man, I need to make some difference. I need to, I need to change some things. I need to try a little harder. I need to put in a little more effort. You know, there's a lot of endurance. There's a lot of longevity. This isn't something that just happens overnight. We've got to work on that and, and work hard on it. But it's not just a five-part study. I've studied the Bible with someone. They've been converted. My part's done. It's over. <laughs> Sometimes I think that's the attitude that we have, and, you know, I need to move on to the next. And there's some more fertilizing and watering and teaching to observe that we need to work on. So how do we go about doing this? How do we go about teaching someone to observe all things? There's a lot of different verses that we could mention. There's a lot of things about going on to spiritual maturity that actually at this conference, that was someone else's topic. So I had to try to avoid that topic of how to teaching or discipling your congregation to go on to spiritual maturity. And there's so many things that we could talk about that we just can't, don't have time, number one, and that was not part of our task as we're looking at it this morning, too. But we talk about counting the cost. Maybe this is something we need to discuss with someone a little more often, and maybe they won't escape out the back door. Maybe they won't leave. Maybe they won't turn their back on God. Maybe they need to consider this a little bit more as we are studying, studying the Bible with someone. We are converting them, counting the cost. In Luke chapter 14, Verses 26 and 27 there, it says, If any man come to me and hate not his own father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So likewise, he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, cannot be my disciple. We have that repeated term there, cannot be my disciple. And what is the attitude, what does this person have to do to be a disciple that's not a disciple at this point? Well, we see in the verses there how that we need to humble ourselves and submit to God. 
the importance of humbling ourselves and submitting to God. If we would teach someone that a little harder, maybe a little firmer early on, maybe they would be more, a lot less likely to leave the church, wouldn't they? When they recognize, look, I need to live my life as a living sacrifice for God. This is the expectation that God has. And I'm either going to do it or I'm not. I can't make that decision to just do that and then, and then walk away. The importance of not doing that are things that we need to emphasize and teach, some, uh, teach the new convert, the one that we're talking with. We've got to bear our, our cross and come after him or we cannot be his disciple. Denying ourselves and living for him instead, putting him first and foremost in our life. <clears throat> Think about the rich young ruler for just a minute. The rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? He said, you know what you need to do? Keep the commandments. He said, I've done these things since I was a kid. What else do I lack? What else do I need to do that I might go to heaven, that I might inherit eternal life? Go and sell all that you have and distribute to those that are poor and come and follow after me and you'll have treasure in heaven. And that man went away sorrowful for he wasn't willing to put that stuff aside, was he? He wasn't willing. So he could not be a disciple, could he? He went away sorrowful. Thinking about these things, teaching others would make them less likely maybe to, to leave the church and to escape. So that's just one of the thoughts that we had as we discussed this question. Putting Christ first and foremost in your life. Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 33. Seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Seeking Him, putting Him first. He doesn't want second place in your life. He doesn't want a portion of your heart. He wants it all. And you've got to forsake all that you have and give it to Him. John chapter 14 and verse number 15, a verse we quote often. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, do what my word says and follow after me. In Romans chapter 6, verses 17 and 18, when it talks about when we are converted, when we are a, a disciple, we were formerly, before our obeying the gospel, we were a servant of sin or a slave to sin. But now we're no longer that. We're something different. We're a servant of righteousness. So live your life like it. And emphasizing and looking at those things and sitting down with someone, maybe that would uh, teach them a little bit better how to observe all things like the Scriptures say. Another thing that we've kind of alluded to already this morning is about sometimes you've got to uh, burn past relationships and bridges, just different activities, your former lifestyle. You're not the same person you used to be when you become a disciple of God. Repentance is a change of life. It's a change of heart. It's a change of lifestyle, the way that you live. It's not just pretending to be a Christian on Sunday morning. It's actually living it in your life every day and every moment. And yes, we fail. And yes, we fall short. Yes, we sin. But it's routinely living that Christian life as God would have us to. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, it says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth in those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24, it talks about putting off and putting on. And that's that process of repentance we just mentioned a few minutes ago. Uh, putting off our old sinful man that was 
driven according to our deceitful lust and our own desires and what we want and putting on the new man, which is focused on living our life a sacrifice for God and what he would have us do, loving him and keeping his commandments, living for him and not our own self. So those are some thoughts about how we teach to observe all things. We mentioned this morning about the importance of not turning away, of not running out the back door, of escaping. Yes, you can fall. You're going to hear in the world today that you cannot fall from grace. You cannot lose your salvation. The Bible does not teach that. It's an easy and a convenient doctrine that man has come up with, but it's not true. You can fall from grace. You can lose your salvation. In Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again under repentance, seeing that they crucify themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. Crucifying God afresh, walking away from him. You know, much of Paul's writings were written to different people, different groups of people, different churches that were doing what? They were walking away from Jesus Christ. They were returning to Judaism, to the old law, following after that. In Acts chapter 15 and verse number 10, he said, Why are you trying to return to this old law, which is a yoke of bondage, that neither we nor our fathers were able to bear? We couldn't keep it. Why do you want to return to that? Everything is better in Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he's made. Don't return to that. You can't keep it. You can't do it. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, he again told the church there in Galatia, in that region, to not be entangled again in its yoke of bondage and this burden that they couldn't keep and couldn't bear. Follow after Christ. There are so many things that we could mention this morning about living the spiritual Christian life, about walking with God, repentance, returning from our sin, adding to our a life, the Christian graces and virtues that the Bible talks about, bearing fruit, some of the things we mentioned this morning, being a righteous person and walking in righteousness. But that's not, we just don't have time to discuss that this morning. Plus, it wasn't part of this discussion and topic. So, but keep those things in your heart and your mind. Think about these things, how we can improve on the question that we've asked this morning. How can we better retain as a church? We're all in this together. How can we better retain those? that we've converted so they don't escape, so they don't walk away. I want to look at another set of verses about some stumbling blocks that are in our way or can be in a new convert's way that would cause them to have difficulty and problems in the things that we're talking about this morning. Escaping, running out the back door. We read this parable this, uh, together this morning. We have these different grounds or these different hearts that the Word of God, the seed is the Word of God that it falls on, the wayside, the stony, the thorns, the good. That Word of God that has been sown and been scattered by the, by the farmer, by the sower, it's fallen on different hearts or different grounds. And there's different responses to that. But all that, that seed fell to the ground, and those people heard and received as we read this morning. They heard, heard and received the Word of God. It's fallen on their heart, and there's different problems or situations. There's different reactions and outcomes to that Word of God that's, that's fallen on that heart. But as we think about that, what we read this morning on the seed of the Word of God that fell on that heart by the wayside, 
And it said that the birds of the air just came by, the fowl of the air came and, and devoured a lot of it. You know, it's just sitting on top of the earth and it was snatched away. It was taken away easy, easily and the wicked one comes and snatches it away. So what does this person need in our life? If we're trying to help this person, if there's a, a difficulty, there's, a, there's something that we can do, what do they need? Well, obviously they need understanding, don't they? They don't understand. They also need the knowledge of, about the wicked one. The devil is coming. He's trying to snatch away that word that is sown in their heart. So we need to teach them how to deal with Satan. You know, being a new convert, you're kind of a target. <laughs> you know, the Bible talks about how the, that Satan is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And those that are weak, those that are newly converted, they just don't know as much yet. They're not as spiritually mature. They're an easier target. They're an easier one to grab and to escape out the back door with, aren't they? And Satan knows that, and that's what Satan does. So some things that we can do is to teach them about the Word of God. Spend time. We've talked about that already this morning. Fertilizing. Spending this time and this effort in teaching them, and also teaching them about the wiles or ways of the devil that, that the Scriptures talk about. So when I think about causing someone to understand, think about this for a minute. Look at the difference between the, the seed by the wayside and that one with the good seed. He doesn't understand, he does understand. So obviously what, what we're talking about, we need understanding here. In Nehemiah chapter 8, Ezra and a group of guys here, I won't say those names this morning, but what do they do? They set the people down or the people are there and they cause the people to understand the law. And the people stood in their place. So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. They sat down with them and took the time to study with them and to distinctly tell them where they could know and understand fully the Word of God and what these things mean, and they could accept it and put it in their life. You know, some things are difficult to understand when you sit down and read those things for the first time. You're reading through your Bible and you say, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't understand what I'm trying to get, the message I'm trying to get here. So it's important to sit down with someone like Ezra and these that are, uh, knew a little bit more and understood the law where they took the time to cause them to understand the reading. And obviously that would keep them from being snatched away from the wicked one so easily, wasn't it? Knowing about and having a plan, knowing that the devil is out to get you. And on those days when there's difficulty, on those days when I'm having a hard time and I'm doubting, and I just don't know what to do, well, I can reach out to someone. Call me. Call someone here in the congregation. They'll help you through it. They'll help you through that difficult time. Have a plan for this troubled time and difficulty. Well, what about this stony heart, this heart that receives hears and receives with joy, but, you know, it's, it's, there's no depth of earth there. There's just a little bit of dirt. It springs up quickly, but then the sun scorches it, and they fall away quickly. And it describes that as tribulation and persecution comes, and immediately they stumble. So what does this person need? What does this type of individual need? Well, they need to understand and, and have a, an ability of, of knowing what the Word of God says, how that we can endure trials and temptations and persecution whether they won't fall away from God 
That's what that person needs, and that's something that we as a congregation, as individuals, need to provide and need to help them with. The understanding of how to deal with tribulation and persecution. Because you know so many times trouble comes, and what's the first thing we do? We leave the church. We escape and run out the back door. The door's not closed on them. So we would arm someone or with that information up front. Look, the devil's out to get you. He wants to discourage you. And the last thing you need to do is walk away and turn away like the verses we just talked about in Hebrews chapter 6. Escaping. That's the last thing you need to do. But so often that's the first response of someone. Well, I'm embarrassed. I don't know what to do. So I'm going to escape. I'm going to run out the back door. Having that knowledge would help them to be prepared for that. What about the thorny ground? You know, after you've been in church for a while, you have a better understanding, you've grown, but life gets busy, doesn't it? There's so many things that are around us that occupy our time and our mind, our jobs, our sports, our entertainment, so many other things that are around us, the cares that all this world has to offer, the deceitfulness of riches. If I can just get this amount of money, then I'll have more time. I can retire. Then I can be involved in church work. And what happens to us? We become unfruitful. We don't bear any fruit. Remember back in Luke chapter 13, as we read this morning, what is God's expectation of us? The fig tree is supposed to do what? It's supposed to bear fruit. And when it's not, it's not yielding anything. It's unfruitful. That's not where God wants us to be. So what do we need? We need to recognize that when we're going in that direction, that the, I'm getting caught up in the world and things are dragging me away from God and from the church and from my duty and I'm becoming unfruitful to God. I need to make some changes in my life and I need to become this good and fertile ground that understands the Word of God and His plan for me and what He wants me to do and exactly what He wants me to be and bear fruit for Him and spring up. Well, that's one of the questions that we've talked about this morning. So we want to talk about a couple more this afternoon. I hope that you can be back as we um, will spend a little bit of time uh, discussing the other questions that we've talked about briefly this morning. So I won't keep you long this afternoon. We'll go through those briefly, so I uh, invite you back.